All right, well, it's uh, been a few weeks, but uh, I want to get right back into our series, Working Through Peter's First Letter to the Church. So without further review, let's pick up where we left off from 1 Peter chapter, stu- chapter 2. <laughs> I think I'm hungry. I want stew today. Stew, that sounds good. It's fall. We need, we need stew. I'm having some nasal issues today. You want to say a prayer for me? It's just like I'm over there sniffing and storting the whole time during the music. Hopefully I don't do that during the sermon. Please don't bring me your used hanky. If I do, you can bring a clean one if you want, as long as it's never been used. I don't trust your washing machine. And I'm not giving it back either. <laughs> I should get going with the sermon at some point. All right. Here we go. Chapter 2, starting with verse 4. Peter writes, As you come to him, Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Let me start by recognizing that this passage seems to mostly tell us what God is doing. Rather than to give us any obvious directives. We can certainly see here that God is the builder and not we ourselves. At the same time, I also believe this passage is included in Peter's letter so that the church will make some application of it. We are not literally stone blocks after all, and I do believe that as we actively submit to the builder, a greater work will be done both in us and through us, or at the very least, we will further enjoy and appreciate the experience. Beyond this, we really must assume that our participation is needed in passages like these, unless we would want to descend into a sort of lackadaisical fatalism, cross our arms, sit on our backsides, and just sort of expect God to force us into the shape of whatever he wants us to become. That kind of attitude would be quite foreign to the narrative of Scripture, where human choices obviously matter. And so the point is that while God is, the ultimate, is ultimately the one who builds us, We will consider our part to play, or to be specific, we are going to talk about how to get built. (laughs) Obviously, I'm not referring to six-pack abs or triceps or quads or an exercise or substance that might pump you up, but rather, how can we be built up into God's house? (laughs) What do you and I need to do as we co-labor with Christ, both for our own sakes and for the sakes of our brothers and sisters who are being built up alongside us. We are, after all, living 
stones, which must mean that we are active in the process as living stones. We don't sit there and wait to be placed only so that we can sit there some more. But in fact, God has given us legs, uh, which he allows us to use in order to get ourselves to the place where he is leading us to be. Yes, we are living stones, the very ones God is using to build something beautiful, both with us and through us and within us. So how can we get on board with God's building program? That's the question here. And now let me give you step one, which is this. Come to him, not to men. Look with me at the first part of verse four. Peter writes, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. So who is him and how do we come to him? Well, from the context, it becomes obvious that him is Christ, the stone the builders rejected. But the second question, how do we come to him? requires a little bit of explanation. Listen again to verses 6 and 7. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. I really appreciate the first few words there, for it stands in Scripture. Is there any doubt that the Apostle Peter reveres the Old Testament as the very Word of God? No, there is not. In fact, rather than presuming that whatever he has to write will ever be thought of as Scripture, which of course it was, Peter humbly appeals to a higher authority, that of what God has already said. We get a double blessing when New Testament writers quote the Old Testament Scripture, particularly when they are showing how Messianic prophecy has been fulfilled before their very eyes. Peter is telling us that this very Jesus that he personally knew, the one he saw crucified, the one he saw rise again as an eyewitness, is indeed the long-awaited Messiah spoken of in these prophecies. See, Peter had witnessed the fulfillment of these very words. He was forced to watch with terror as the religious leaders, the establishment, rejected the Christ, even the very one whom God had anointed. But Peter had also witnessed the exception to this rule in those few who had believed to their honor. So that's all important to know. But again, how do we come to him? I think we can really see two aspects of our coming to Christ in this passage. In verse 4, there at the beginning of the passage, we're not talking about salvation, but the original syntax makes clear that we're talking about something that is both ongoing and repetitive. This sort of continual coming to Christ can be seen in the original Greek, but the translators also did a good job of communicating this in English using phrases like, as you come. And as you are building, being built up. So that we should understand that this sort of coming to Jesus is an ongoing process. And something we need to do repeatedly like every day. If you want to be built by God, you need to be coming to Jesus. Early, often, and all the time. That said, we can also see in verses 6 and 7. 
But the idea of belief or faith in Christ for salvation is included in the lesson of this passage as well. In fact, those who have believed are contrasted with those who have not believed, and the results are that the former is being built up while the latter is falling down. Peter says, if you believe, you will be honored by God, not put to shame, but rather you will be built up by him. Conversely, if you reject or try to relegate Christ, you will ultimately be rejected by God, sadly sealing your doomed destiny apart from him. And so, yes, this passage is also about saving faith. But the opening in verse 4 is more about continuing to come to Christ relationally as a believer. And all of this is step one if you want to be built by God. There's much we could discuss about these two areas known formally as justification and sanctification. But today I want to spend some time on this idea of being rejected by men. Never forget that Christ has always been rejected by men. And as we follow him, we will endure the same rejection. To the degree that you and I follow Christ in this world, we will be rejected by men. If you don't feel rejected by men, you may need to do some self-inventory. Have you been coming to Jesus? Is he your cornerstone? I have found that rejection comes mostly when we hold up the exclusivity of Christ. When you and I present Jesus as the only way, this is the point at which those who do not believe will reject us every time. They reject us today just as those who put Christ on the cross rejected him. They did not believe in the very rock who could have been their foundation. The one upon which they could have been built up. But instead, as with modern unbelievers, they turned away from God's only available cornerstone for their lives. And in so doing, that same cornerstone becomes the rock by which they fall. If Christ is not your foundation, he will be your damnation. And that is the gravity of the situation when God comes down to earth to save rebellious men and women by literally dying for their sin. To reject such heavenly compassion is to seal your condemnation. Don't miss the irony of these ancient prophecies pulled out of the Old Testament by the Apostle Peter. Notice just how close people can come without actually believing Folks, you can't stumble over a rock without literally touching it. Your foot has to bang against the stone before you would find yourself tripping. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 6 and chapter 10 where we read about people who at some point appeared to have been saved, who said all the right words, who maybe even were baptized, but ultimately they stumbled over Christ. Most often the stumbling point is found specifically in the exclusivity of Christ. It's okay if Jesus is your way. He just may not be my way or everybody's way. That's what they say. They think they can sort of skirt the issue. That they can perhaps circumnavigate the rock. But they will find that they are wrong even as they fall. This reaction to the exclusivity of Christ seems to be particularly strong in millennials or so far 
of any of the younger generations because the powers of this world have so thoroughly persuaded them against the idea of absolute truth. Many of them simply cannot accept that Jesus is the only way. And so having come close enough to taste Him in some cases, they ultimately stumble. The problem of stumbling has actually been true from the beginning. And as we can see, this dilemma was even prophesied from ancient times. As Peter, Peter's quotations from Psalms and Isaiah prove, Jesus was always going to be one or the other. The cornerstone for a few, but a stumbling block for many. Today I would ask you, which of those metaphors describes your relationship with Christ? In terms of how you think of God, is Christ your cornerstone? Or is Christ your stumbling block? There is no middle ground. Jesus is one or the other for every last person in this room. During the doldrums of COVID, I became jaded with my own inability to do anything about anything. Anybody else remember that? And so one day I decided, actually, I could do something. And I made up my mind to do it. Now, if you think what I'm about to tell you is normal activity for me, let me be clear, it is not. I don't know, what I've, I don't know that I've ever done anything quite like this before or since. But one day I decided to get out into the world and be a light in the darkest time I had known. So I created a sign. Actually, I think Christy did the writing since nobody can read mine. And walking from my house to the busiest traffic circle in Ridgefield, I stood there holding up this two-sided sign. Several hours, smiling and waving to traffic as people drove by. Now, what happened was both encouraging and discouraging, depending upon which side of the sign various cars full of people happened to view. Believe it or not, I was unintentional in putting a different sort of phrase on each side of the sign. I did not intend to engage in an experiment, but an experiment is part of what it turned out to be. See, on one side of the sign, I had written, Jesus loves you. Honestly, I just wanted to say something positive. I wasn't out there to make a big point or add to the whirlwind of controversy, but I simply wanted to show love in a dark time. Somehow, though, not thinking about it, the other side of me made it onto the other side of the sign where I had written the words, only Jesus saves. I began to notice that people who came toward me on the Jesus loves you side would honk and wave and smile and even occasionally shout an encouraging word. In fact, from those who saw that side of the sign, I thought, you know, I have accomplished my goal. I have brightened people's day. Maybe these are folks who don't really know what they believe about Jesus. But whatever, they are not offended. They feel loved. At the very least, it was as if they figured, hey, here's somebody trying to be kind and good and caring, even if I'm not into the Jesus part as much, or even if I think Jesus is one of many good ideas to sort of believe something about or whatever. Here's a guy showing love. But then there was the other side of the sign. And the reaction from those drivers 
was different. You wouldn't believe the contrast, actually. Remember, the other side of the sign said, only Jesus saves. And see, this is precisely the truth that becomes either your cornerstone or your stumbling block. The exclusivity of faith in Jesus Christ for salvation from sin, which gains you exemption from the wrath of God. That is the point of stumbling for most. And based on the reaction of several, I'd say it was a stumbling block for many on that very day. More than one passerby shared their favorite finger with me. And I'll never forget the young man who violently screamed out his window, Jesus isn't real. To which I almost shouted back, then why do you care so much? Right, I'm not quite as warm and fuzzy as the front of my sign made it seem. But the point is this. If your Jesus is not a stumbling block to some, your Jesus is not the real Jesus. That's not where you thought I was going with this, is it? You thought I was going to be hard on those people out there in the world. But I'm talking to those who claim to believe right now. I'm saying that if your Jesus does not cause you to be rejected by men, you may believe in the wrong Jesus. Look back at the way I worded this first step. Come to him, not men. See, that's one of the truths woven throughout this passage. You don't get to please both Christ and man. Why? Because outside of the realm of true believers, mankind hates the true Christ. The only Christ they will accept is the one they get to tame. A true Jesus is a stumbling block to most of mankind, and they will fall flat on their faces trying to kick him out of their lives. So I ask again, are you coming to and believing in the real Jesus? If so, you will be rejected, just as he was. Now also remember this, Jesus didn't try to be a stumbling block just for grins. I think Jesus most often tried not to offend people, with a few exceptions. But Jesus couldn't help but offend, simply in the truth of who he was. And so I'm not telling you to go out there and just be a jerk on purpose. What I'm telling you is to come to Jesus, not to men. And not to man's ideas about Jesus. Make it your ambition to please Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, rather than the latest whims of twisted humanity. Put Christ first, not your own popularity with other people. Coming to Jesus is step one if you want to be built. Why? Because you must be connected to the cornerstone if you want in on God's building. To be built, you'll have to keep coming to Jesus, even knowing that in doing so, you will often be rejected by men, just as he was. Second step toward being built. See how God sees you. Listen to these encouraging words. After saying Christ was rejected by men and implying that his followers will be rejected also, Peter says, but in the sight of God. Chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Be encouraged, fellow believer, regardless of how the world sees you. This beautiful description of Christ doubles as a description of how God sees you. In Christ. We'll talk about who we are in Christ for most of the sermon next week, so I'll uh, be brief on this point, but just think about this little exchange we're making for a moment. 
What is the petty rejection of fallen man compared to eternal value placed on us by the builder? God. Peter says, just like Christ, in coming to him, we are becoming living stones. And just like Christ, as such, we are chosen and precious to God. He says God is even building us into some sort of eternal dwelling place for himself. And that within this larger building, which is likened to a temple, we are also considered by God to be serving as holy priests. Don't miss that we're not only priests, but holy priests. That is forgiven and purified. A condition only possible through our union with Christ, our high priest. How marvelous is this, that we are seen by God in such an honored and exclusive way. But are we really so special? Or are all people the same to God? Is everyone a holy priest? I'm afraid not. But only those who have come to Christ and who are coming to Christ in faith. As our text makes clear, those who reject Him have a very different destiny. But right now I ask fellow believer, have you really ever seen how God sees you? Friends, you and I are useful to God. He wants to use you to build His kingdom. Maybe someone just had a twinge of attitude. You're not so sure you want to be used. Well, friend, this is God we're talking about. Who are you compared to Him? Why on earth were you created? The master builder, the creator of all that is good, decided that you and I are useful for his building. And if we had a clue about God, that would be the most encouraging thing we could ever comprehend. We are useful to God. This was Billy Graham's repeated prayer as a young man, and it has been mine as well. Just two words, use me. For years, I would pour out my heart with all the fervency I could muster and beg God to use me. Use me. This was my most gut-level prayer as a young man. And it still is, though back then it was only a possibility, at least in my mind. But now I can see that this prayer of my youth has been answered. In spite of all my flaws, God has used me and He is using me. I'll never stop praying this. But have you understood that He wants to use you as well? We are like choice and precious and living stones to be used by God, not for some vain or lesser thing, but to provide a place for Him to be. As in a house, or better yet, a temple. Indeed, God's holy temple we are, 1 Corinthians 6. But listen, and I want you to get this. God does not build frugal temples. He doesn't build cheap temples. Temples, oh no, he does not build boring, empty, or Spartan temples. No, our God builds lavish temples, breathtakingly beautiful edifices to his glory. Made only with precious metals and priceless gems, the choicest materials, that is you and me. Living stones. Think about this, if, if heaven is God's temple now, and yet he is building something new with us. 
that means we are becoming something better than heaven to God. That's really what this means. Why would God be building a new house if that new house were not in some way better? Yes, God is building something better than today's heaven. And in some mysterious way, we are both what he is building and part of that larger thing which he's building with us. Whatever beautiful and eternal thing God is building, it must be unimaginably glorious. And you, my friend, are being built into it. That's how special you are as God's living stone. Notice, though, that this is all a process. We are not there yet. We are becoming, we are being built. And when God is finished building, Christ will return to reign in us and through us and with us. And we will reign with him within this building. Still being built. In fact, we are and will be his dwelling place. What on earth could be more meaningful? Through faith in Christ, we prove to be chosen, priceless, full of life, and wonderfully useful to our Lord. We are holy priests to our God. We are indeed His glorious home, continually being built into something even better for our future together, for Him and with Him and with each other for eternity. See how God sees you. Third step, to be built. Make spiritual sacrifices. From the second half of verse 5, Peter writes, Being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It is important to notice not only that we are um, living stones in the building of God, but we are also to be as priests within that very building. And so again, it is not as if we were inanimate objects or as if we were sort of basic identical blocks fixed into a plain wall. No, the idea of living stones is metaphorical, of course. And at some point we're to do more than sit around within the stonework. Rather, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is a critical part of the building project in which we are already partnering with God. And so practically, what does this mean? What are these spiritual sacrifices? As usual, the context gives us answers. Who were the priests and what were the priests to do? Well, they were set apart, cleansed of sin, considered to be holy by God on the basis of their faith through the shedding of the blood of flawless animals, a foreshadowing of Christ. But take note that as such holy agents, the priests both represented the people before God as well as God to the people. This is the point at which I want to draw your attention to the fact that none of us is being built in isolation, right? The goal here is not mostly to be made a better stone individually. In our text, the thing God is building is not ultimately these separated living stones, but rather he is putting us together in order to build a temple out of all of us. This is intended to be illustrative of the kingdom of God, that which is coming in greater measure, but is also here with us now. And so notice that we're being built into this wonderful kingdom together. 
While God does build us up as individuals, He does so in order to build something even greater by bringing those individuals together. This, of course, is part of why we need to assemble as churches. But let me go to the priestly part that each of us has to play. The New Testament is abundantly clear that all believers are now priests. Uh, We learned about this from the book of Hebrews. We're learning about it today. And since priests are intermediaries between God and man, we should ask, which men and women are we serving as these intermediaries? Do we serve the world in this way? While I could make a point about representing God to the world from other texts, as we certainly are as ambassadors to the world, in this context, that is not the point. Why do you and I need to serve God as priests and thereby to offer spiritual sacrifices within this amazing temple or kingdom that God is building with His people? What is the need for priests and what are these spiritual sacrifices that we as priests are to make in the context of God's building project? I believe Peter is saying this. We need to serve as priests on behalf of each other. See, folks, even though Jesus is our high priest, we are also priests, as it straight up says right here in our text. But how do we apply this? Again, priests are go-betweens, intermediaries, shoring up the communication lines between God and man. And even though we ultimately have Jesus to serve in that way, and this is part of why there is no official New Testament priestly office, we still can see how God is referring back to the priestly role in order to speak of what we can do for each other as members of God's household. Friends, you you and I can represent each other to God. We call this intercessory prayer. And I will tell you that, that, that taking the time and pausing and spending our energy on intercessory prayer is a spiritual sacrifice, pleasing to God. But it is a sacrifice. Fervent prayer on behalf of our brothers and sisters, exactly the kind of spiritual sacrifice being spoken of in our text. This is what priests do. They represent the people to God. We've got some big prayer needs in our church right now. By the way, if you're not on the prayer team, which just means you get an email and you can pray over these things, why not? Get, in, get on there. Email Joyce. That's in the, it's in the program. We've got some big things to pray about right now. You and I can represent each other to God. intercessory prayer. But that's not all when it comes to our priestly role in this great construction project of God. Not only can we represent each other to God, but we can also represent God to each other. As the ancient priest Ezra brought God's word to the people, so we can each do the same today. And you absolutely don't have to be a pastor to do this. This isn't, by the way, either is, this is not male and female issue. Sometimes I have to go there. Today, this is everybody. You don't have to be a pastor to do this, but rather you need to be the kind of priest that God's word says you are. 
in Christ. Every believer can speak for God as we study and apply the scriptures and prayerfully approach one another with words of encouragement or even admonition. Sometimes we need to correct one another with the word of God in love. Other times we need to bring a soothing word of comfort to a hurting heart, again, through the word of God. Have you ever stopped and realized the privilege that Christ has afforded you to serve as a priest, even to the other priests within the household of faith? In the church, you are a priest to priests. What an honor this is. And God uses these priestly actions, these spiritual sacrifices. <laughs> it's, some, it's a spiritual sacrifice to walk up to someone and say, I need to talk to you. There's this thing, you know, you, you, might, you might get a good response. You might not, right? It's a spiritual sacrifice. It's also a spiritual sacrifice to encourage. Oh, somebody else probably said it to him. But no, you give of yourself. Represent God to other people in your church. Whether as a representative from God or a representative to God, perhaps someone in your go group or your youth group or your Bible study or someone you know in your church needs you to be a priest to them today. As a priest in God's household, what will your next spiritual sacrifice be? I wonder. Now, I want to pause here and say something very relevant to our particular church family. We are all priests. We can all speak God's word to each other, right? We can all go to the Father on behalf of our sisters and brothers. You can do this. You should do this if you know Christ. You ought to be serving as a priest, making spiritual sacrifices to God in the way that you treat one another. And so here's how this applies in our current season. I am not your priest. I have never been your priest any more than we are all priests to each other. Are you following me? Let me tell you something. This is to be expected at only five years old, but this church still has some growing to do. Don't be offended. I'm at least to some degree responsible for the growth of this church along with the other pastors. And I'm telling you, we have some growing to do as a church. But did you know that there are certain levels of growth that will never happen until we are placed in a position of needing to make spiritual sacrifices? Sometimes something or someone has to be removed before a need is exposed. You need to be priest for each other. Church family, I'm not your priest. You need to be priest for each other. And more so going forward. The church of Jesus Christ is the temple of God. Not a building, but something made of living stones who are also priests. And that's you. Are you being built into what God wants his church to be? How does that happen? Through your spiritual sacrifices. See, we're not count we are counting not on one person in the front, but on each other. That's the way it is in a biblical and healthy church. Your spiritual sacrifice, your priestly activities in this church matter and are part of how God is building both you and us together. Y'all still out there? 
How about an amen? Oh, thank you. Okay, good. All right. So to wrap this point up, as a priest in the house of God, what spiritual sacrifices do you need to make? I would ask that you give some serious thought to that question as you spend time with Jesus in this coming week. Lastly, to be built, obey the word. Speaking of both Christ and those who follow him, Peter says, we are in fact a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now the main idea here is really very simple. People who do not believe are not saved because they have stumbled over Christ rather than allowing God to build their life on him, the cornerstone. This is the disobedience being spoken of here. And you can see this in the context that unbelievers have simply disobeyed by not obeying the gospel that they have refused to believe in Jesus Christ. But how can we find some application for ourselves? Well, the New Testament is full of warnings to believers for those times when we go backward and act more like unbelievers than believers, right? Like where we read about not giving in to the old man or not walking by the flesh or that we shouldn't be led astray by worldly philosophies and all such admonitions wherein believers are reminded that obedience matters. And so even though if you truly know Christ, you can't ultimately stumble to the point of changing your eternal destiny, you can definitely slip and fall. Even as a living stone, you can obey by submitting to what God is doing, or you can cause problems for yourself and everyone else through disobedience. Nothing will pause God's building program like disobedience in his house. Suffice it to say that disobedience is bad and obedience is good. But this also gives me a chance to talk about the incredible grace of God that is ours in Christ. We are living stones. Have you ever thought about that literally? Let's have a sci-fi moment and just imagine what if there could be such a thing as a living stone. Picture this stone that can jump around, okay? I know it's hard for people like my dad, not a fan of sci-fi. But just try with me for a second to imagine that your stone is alive and it jiggles, okay? I mean, it's alive. I mean, this thing can roll around and even run away from the builder. Now consider the stone that is you and consider that you have been placed in a very special configuration on the wall. You are well-placed and prominent way up high and God has built you into that spot with loving hands so that you're right where you're supposed to be. And yet, one day, you just jump right out of the wall, much to the chagrin of the builder. Maybe even take some other stones with you, because disobedience always impacts others. Forgetting previous lessons learned, you jump down from God's building and crashing to the ground, your living stone, that is your life, breaks into a hundred pieces. What will the builder do? Will he sweep you out the door? No, because you are chosen and precious. A chip off the old block that is Christ, if you will. And God would no sooner toss you out, even in your brokenness, than he would his son. So what does God do? 
I wonder if anyone here has ever heard of the Japanese art known as kintsugi. Anyone? Yeah, a few of you. Well, kintsugi is also known as bowl mending. Bowl mending. Where the artisans reassemble broken tea bowls by using liquid gold to seal the pieces together, making that which was broken better and more beautiful than it was before. Picture a bowl that had been broken in many pieces, artfully put back together with golden rivulets at every place where there had been a crack, so beautiful to look at for the deepest reasons. Restoration is a wondrous thing, even in the case of a lifeless object. But there's one more tradition in this art that I want to share. Masters of Kintsugi traditionally do something very interesting before they mend the bowls. They take a moment and they hold the broken pieces in their hands in order to honor their brokenness. See, these artisans know that if the bowl had not been broken, they would not have had a chance to practice their art. And so while it's certainly best to obey, of course, and while disobedience can bring terrible earthly consequences, and even though disobedience can perhaps even temporarily thwart the building of God, be assured that our Lord is bigger than all of that. He can redeem every broken shard of your life. He can always pick you back up. And after honoring your brokenness, holding you in his loving arms for a moment, he can put you back together with golden threads, evidence of his love, his power, and his beauty. See, church family, even though we've talked about ways that we can better partner with God as he builds us and as he builds with us, we must never forget that he is the builder. Our Lord is the master builder, the artisan supreme. And no matter what you have left to offer him, if you will only surrender, it will be enough. Jesus brings beauty from ashes. His gospel is peace and healing and wholeness and restoration. His word tells us that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Would you pray with me? Father, I uh, just know in my heart that today we have Many who are on the outside looking in, who have not believed in your sight, who at best have wondered about it and at worst have utterly rejected him. I feel in my spirit that there are many in this room today, not that I have any special power, I just, I just do. But there are many in this room today, quite a few, who needed to understand that you are either the cornerstone or the stumbling block, and there is no middle ground. God, I pray today that those who have been stumbling over you might instead turn, repent, and trust in your Son with their life, which means to be saved and to know that their eternity is with you, that you're 
plan is good for them. And even when they fail, that you can pick them up and put them back together in a way that's even better than it was before. Because you are grace. You are love. And you want good things for people. If we will only surrender to you as the builder in your way in Jesus Christ, I pray today that someone, even though they may not have understood everything I have said or everything in the Bible or certain areas of the Bible that don't make sense, that today somebody would say yes to Jesus and you can take care of the rest, God. You finish the work you started, that today there would be someone to surrender Someone to say, there's hope. I've not heard hope in a long time. All I've heard is confusion. All I've heard is all different kinds of viewpoints and all kinds of things that really don't matter for my life. I hear hope today in Jesus Christ, and I don't know what it all means, but I'm ready to just accept the gift of Jesus into my life. Take my life, Lord. I repent. I turn away from my own way. And I'm asking you to become my cornerstone, Jesus. God, build my life on Jesus. We thank you, God, that you continue to save people. You continue to add to your church day by day those who are being saved, as your word says. You will always have a remnant. There are always those who can hear, whose ears are opened. There are always those. God, for the rest of us in this room who know you, and I pray that we would have a come to Jesus moment. Um, and that it would continue past today as we understand that it really can we, we have a part to play we are living stones and that we would surrender today to you as our builder somebody here today is, in, is, is broken somebody here is it's just all fallen apart I pray for that person Lord our heart is with them your heart is with them that they would surrender to the master's hands today. I don't know if anybody remembers this song, but I want to sing it. If you know it, sing it with me. Something beautiful, something good, something good, all my confusion, all my confusion, you understood. You understood all I have to offer. All I have to offer him was brokenness and pride. But you made something beautiful of my life. One more time, sing it with me. Something beautiful, something good. Something good, all my confusion, all my confusion, you understood, you understood all I had to offer, mm. all I had to offer him was brokenness and pride, but you made something, you made something 
beautiful of my life. Amen. He'll do it. He'll do it if you let him. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.